If you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to uh, take the time to open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. I'm going to be reading the first 11 verses. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Uh, while you're turning there, I do want to remind you one announcement that I neglected to make is the fact that we are planning on uh, broadcasting a, a Good Friday service on Friday evening at 7 o'clock. Our goal will be to uh, live stream it, just as we've been uh, doing our services here the last couple of weeks, and we certainly want to encourage you to join with us as we share uh, in that time together, and uh, obviously it uh, will perhaps be a little briefer than a normal service uh, because of uh, not being able to do the special musics and the choir and those kinds of things, but um, we want to encourage you to join with us as we share in that very solemn service, and uh, we uh, just hope that uh, we uh, can just... Uh, continue on and remember the blessings that we've received from our Lord Jesus Christ, and we hope that you'll join us uh, on Friday evening at 7 o'clock. Uh, Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, and with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. As we read this passage, and we are accustomed to the reading of it, for particularly for Palm Sunday, uh, we're reminded that in the scriptures, in uh, Matthew, excuse me, not only in Matthew chapter 21, uh, but also in the Gospel of Mark chapter 11, the Gospel of John chapter 12, and the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 19, there is a record uh, of this uh, triumphal entry, as we refer to it, of Jesus into Jerusalem. And uh, I've entitled uh, the message this morning, uh, A Required Response. And uh, I believe that because today is Palm Sunday and uh, we're particularly reminded uh, of the experience that Jesus had as he came into Jerusalem. And one of the questions that was asked there in verse 10, uh, as the whole city was stirred and they were asking, who is this? And uh, ultimately there is a description that is given as the crowd said, this is Jesus. And they defined him as the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I believe that we also uh, have a responsibility to have a required response uh, to the presence of Jesus. I was uh, reminded uh, this week of an interesting uh, little account of uh, a lady that was uh, preparing uh, some cookies in her house. Uh, she was uh, fairly well-to-do. They had a very nice house. And in the midst of it, there was a knock at the door, and she went to find a man a man that uh, appeared to be a rather poor man. His clothes looked poor, at least, and obviously he was looking for some odd jobs. And uh, he asked her if there was anything that he could possibly do in order to earn some money. And she said, uh, are you able to paint? And he said, yes, I'm a rather good painter. 
And she said, well, she said, there are two gallons of green paint there and a brush, and there's a porch out back that needs to be painted, so please do a good job, and I'll pay you what it's worth. He said, fine, I'll be done quickly. Uh, she went back to her making cookies, and before too long, uh, it seemed like it hadn't been very long at all. There was a knock at the door again, and uh, she went, and uh, the obvious of the man had been painting. Uh, there was uh, paint on his hands, and there was paint on his face. There was paint on his clothes. There was paint on his shoes, and she said, did you finish the job? And he said, yes, I finished the job. Uh, she said, did you do a good job? And he says, yes, but lady, there's one thing I'd like to point out to you. It's not a Porsche that's back there, it's a Mercedes-Benz. And uh, one of the things that sometimes we need to be reminded of is there is occasionally some things that surprise us just a little bit. And I want to suggest to you that when we see this account here of what we refer to uh, as the uh, triumphal entry of Jesus, that there's this large crowd that one week is shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they're hailing Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. They're laying down their clothes on the road. They put their clothes on the donkey. Uh, they cut down some palm branches and they're, they're waving them and they're putting them in the way for him. They're re receiving him into Jerusalem in, in a quite a joyful moment. But we also need to be reminded that it's not very much longer before what appears to be the same crowd ends up saying, crucify him, crucify him give us Barabbas. And probably none of us, as we could have maybe have been there, would have ever assumed that individuals would change that quickly. The people were asking, who is this? And I want to suggest to you that it actually requires a response not only from them, but it requires a response from us as well. It should cause us to actually stop and to evaluate and to consider, to clarify, to confirm our personal response to Jesus. This particular response calls, first of all, for what I refer to as a clear vision of who he is. We need to stop and see him. Uh, we certainly quote the verses that are found in Proverbs 29, verse 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And obviously, we're familiar with the fact that it also could be translated where there is no revelation or where people don't see who God really is, the people perish. The crowd was watching. But what is it that they actually saw? One of the things that seems very evident is, is they were looking for a political savior. They were hoping that somebody was going to come and redeem them and relieve them, as it were, from some of the bondages that they were experiencing. And they were hoping that this Jesus was going to be the individual that was actually going to come and to relieve them from that pressure. Some of them actually took the time and as they thought about it and as they considered some of the things that he had been saying as he had been ministering out in the, out in the byways, they considered him to be a prophet, a voice that was coming, as it were, with some new doctrine, some new ideas, some new considerations, and they were listening intently, wondering what it was that he was going to say as he came into Jerusalem. I have to confess to you that I've always liked uh, Josh McDowell's uh, little uh, description that he uses in his apologetics. And, and one of the things that he uses is a thing called Lord, Liar, and Lunatic. He uses this as somewhat of an example. And he says, in very simple terms, it's this, that Jesus himself said that in essence, I am God. Jesus said that the Father and I are one. Jesus said, and he used the terms that I am, that I am referring to the very statement that God had made of himself. He also reminds us that he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh unto the Father but by him. 
ultimately, as Josh McDowell points out, there's really only three possibilities. When we take a look at Jesus, and it doesn't matter if I take a look at Jesus, if you take a look at Jesus, whenever anybody takes a look at Jesus, there's only three possible conclusions that you can really make when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one is, is that we could consider the fact that as we look at Jesus, we can conclude that he wasn't God and he didn't know that he wasn't God. In other words, he believed that he was God, but he wasn't God, and, and uh, there's a sense in which uh, he just didn't know. And that would actually make him, as, as, uh, as is described by Josh McDowell, a lunatic, uh, somebody that was crazy. I, I read about a, a guy that went to the psychiatrist, and it was a brand new time that he'd been with the psychiatrist, and, and the psychiatrist said, well, we kind of need to get started here. So he says, you just lay down there, and he says, and I, I want you to just talk to me and, and share with me some of what's been going on in your life so that I can kind of maybe get to the bottom of what your real problems are. And the man lied down there on the couch, and, and, and the psychiatrist says, how about you just start at the beginning? And so the man says, okay, in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> and it didn't take too long before they realized uh, what the real problem was. I want to suggest to you uh, that when you take a look at Jesus, you have to consider the fact that maybe he, in fact, didn't know that he was God. And, and, and maybe, in fact, that he was confused and that he's crazy. Now, I don't espouse to that. But if you're actually going to listen to what he says, you have to give that a consideration. The second possible is this is that he wasn't God and he knew it. And as it's described uh, in his book, he says that it's possible that Jesus could have said that he, was, that he wasn't God. Uh, he claims that he was God, but that he wasn't God and he knew that he wasn't God and that would make him a liar, an individual that is a deceiver, an individual that came and was actually trying to deceive people and con people and to fool people. And I think that one of the things we need to stop and recognize is, is that uh, if we're going to believe uh, that he isn't God, and, and by the way, there's lots of people that talk about Jesus. In fact, it's interesting of many of the cults. Uh, one of the things that you can do is you can actually ask them, who is Jesus? And uh, you'll hear all kinds of things. You'll hear that he's an angel. You'll hear that he's a good man. You'll hear that he's a prophet. You'll hear that he's all kinds of things, but they'll say that he's not God. Well, if he wasn't God and he knew he wasn't God and he said he was God, that would make him a liar and a deceiver, not a prophet, not a good man. The third option, obviously, is one that is pointed out, and that is, is that he says that he's God, and the fact is, is that he is God as he says that he is, and so therefore that makes him Lord. Not a lunatic, not a liar, but Lord. He is, in fact, God. Some people, unfortunately, want to try to just say that Jesus is just a good man, that Jesus is a prophet, uh, that Jesus is just one of the ways that individuals can get to heaven. But you know, the truth is, is that we need to have a very clear vision. He cannot, it's not possible for Jesus to be just a good man and a prophet and one way to get to heaven. He either is the God that he says he is and he is the savior of the world or he is a liar or a lunatic. You just can't have it both ways. I want to suggest to you that we need to remember today that truly that he is sovereign. He is God. Most of us are familiar uh, within the scriptures, and if you turn to John chapter 1 and verse 1, we're familiar with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then, of course, we can jump down to verse 14. You can read the whole text, but if you jump down to verse 14, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We need to be reminded today that Jesus is very much God of God. He is, in fact, the creator. He is the one that is revealing himself, and the very word reveals himself. He is the word come in flesh. It is his word. It is he that is the word, God revealing himself to us. He is the creator. The scripture says there isn't anything that was made that was not made by him. He is in control, and brothers and sisters, you know, uh, we're living in some very difficult days. In fact, I suppose that probably at least in my lifetime it's been one of the most unique times that I've ever seen uh, the opportunity that uh, we have to uh, maybe get scared is uh, very real uh, it's quite possible for people to get their eyes fixed on everything else and forget the fact that God is in control uh, I want to remind us today particularly those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ he is the word he's the creator uh, he made it all and he is sovereign, and he is in control. Uh, he knows what he's doing. I actually was thinking myself just this past week, I said, we've been uh, praying uh, quite a bit lately about some of the things that have been going on, particularly in our world and particularly in our own land. I said, we've been praying, and we pray, and we pray that God will open up people's eyes, and maybe people would get very serious about spiritual things. Uh, I can't think of a better time than in these days for people to start thinking about not just life and worrying about getting a virus but thinking about eternal life and wondering what's going to happen after it's all over we need to remember that he's not only the creator and that he's in control but you know one of the most important things we need to recall today is, is the fact that he came you know we see this uh, account that's given to us here in Matthew and in the other gospels about Jesus coming into Jerusalem but he not only came into Jerusalem we need to remember that he actually came to this earth and the truth is, is that he chose to come. Seeing us in our plight and in our need, knowing that we couldn't reach up to him and we couldn't reach him, he stepped out of the throne room of heaven and he came to this earth to you and to me. And he made it possible that we could certainly be redeemed, that we could be saved. That ties in very quickly that not only that he's, that he's sovereign, but that he's our savior. He is the one that is the redeemer, he is the one that, as he described, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's you and me. In Matthew, we are reminded that Joseph was told by the angel that you shall have a son and you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The truth is, is that he is the one that is our savior and he provides for us forgiveness. He provides for us cleansing. He provides for us a new life, and he does it through the work on the cross. Without the cross, there is no forgiveness. Without the cross, there is no cleansing. Without the cross, there is no new life. Lots of individuals like to try to create all kinds of religious teaching these days. They always want to make it sound good. They want to make it sound uh, fun. But I want to suggest to you there wasn't anything fun about the cross of Jesus Christ. It was to the cross that Jesus came to go to. He started in that cradle there in Bethlehem. But you know, not only was that a sacrifice for him to step out of the throne room of heaven, but 
eventually he ended up on that cross and it's there on that cross that he suffered and he died uh, this coming week we'll be reminded of that particularly as we focus on Good Friday but you know Jesus gave his all that you and I could be saved that we could be forgiven that we could be cleansed of our sin that we could have a new life in Jesus Christ but he's also our sustainer he is the one that gives us not only life but he strengthens us and he sustains us day by day next Sunday we'll be gathered together and we're going to be singing praises about the very simple fact that he's risen from the dead and the very simple fact that he's risen from the dead is the fact that he's alive. And as we celebrate the fact that he's alive, we know that he is present. We know that he's personal. We know that he's powerful. I love the verse that's given to us over in the book of Romans and over in Romans chapter 8. And let me turn and read this for us and just remind us of it. But over in Romans chapter 8, it says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I'm reminded of that verse often. The very simple fact is, is that the very same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the very same Holy Spirit that Jesus sends to you and to me. It's the very same spirit that gives us his presence. It's the very same spirit that comes and is the comforter that comes alongside of us. It is the very same spirit that sustains us day by day. And brothers and sisters, I hear individuals that are talking about how weak some people are and certainly concerned about people getting sick and certainly concerned about the spread of COVID-19. But I want to remind us today that regardless if you have COVID-19 or if you don't have COVID-19, you know, today we need to put our trust and our dependence on our sustainer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that meets our needs literally day by day. He's the one that goes with us and provides his strength. When we're weak, he's strong. When we don't know what to do, he gives us direction. When we're confused, he brings clarity to it all. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember today that he is our sustainer and that he's very much alive. Do you have a clear vision of who he is today? Do you know who Jesus is? When, when you read that passage and the crowds were shouting and wondering, who is this? Do you know who Jesus is? I want to suggest to you that this morning that we not only need to have a, a very clear vision of who he is, but I want to suggest to you that there is put before us a call for us to have a chosen vow of who he is. Jesus coming and requiring us a choice John chapter 12 verse or chapter John chapter 1 verse 12 says but as many as received him to them he gave the power to become the sons of God over in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved over in Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 we're familiar with those words where he encourages the people and says listen choose you this day who you will serve God has given us a free will. He's given us the opportunity to receive or to reject. There is clearly here an issue of trust, an issue of belief. I'm not sure that people always take the time to understand the importance of making a choice, of making a decision for Jesus Christ. 
I recently was helping somebody out and uh, there was a need for us to be able to uh, get down into an, uh, an area that was uh, about 15 feet down and there was no ladder, no way to get a ladder in there, uh, no way to, to do anything else. It was just very tight quarters. And I told the individual, I said, I can get down there. And I, I put on a harness that I have and I took a rope that I had and, and uh, I decided that I would just repel down into the space. And so I uh, got everything ready and I knew one thing that I was going to make sure that I did. And that was is that I tied the knots. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that they were tied securely. And when I took the knot, the rope, and I tied it to myself, and then I tied it off, and, and I got ready to lower myself down into this space, I made sure that those knots were secure. I made sure that those knots were correct. I made sure that I'm the one that tied the knots so that they would be correct. I, I was putting my trust into my own decision, my own ability to tie the knots. I wasn't going to let somebody else do it and hope that they hold. You know, this morning we need to ask a very simple question. Where do you put your trust? Not for some little thing like a rope that's maybe holding you, but where do you put your trust for eternity? Where do you put your hope, your belief? Where is it that you are going to depend upon for your eternity? You know, we have in our society, uh, unfortunately, uh, quite a prevailing sense of humanism. The concept that man is the maker and measure of all things. The idea that somehow if we just band together, we can do it. Now, brothers and sisters, I've been watching a lot of commercials this past week, and, and I know that there's a lot of people on there, and they're saying that people need to stay home, they need to stay safe, and they're correct. Uh, they also make a big point of the fact that we can do this together. And I'm not talking about the concept of fellowship and encouragement. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is, is that man cannot choose their own eternity and do it themselves. They can't get there. A charismatic leader isn't going to get us there. There's lots of people that like to follow men. But, you know, more often than not, we find those men failing and falling. I want to suggest to you this morning that it's not the church. And as much as I appreciate the church and I appreciate the fellowship and the body of believers, and we can certainly be appreciative of the fact that we have a church, I, I know that we miss having everybody in church. But you know, it's not the organization, the church, that saves people. It's not the church that has the ability to give new life. It's not the church that can really redeem anybody. It's only in Christ. It's only in Jesus that we can actually find redemption. I want to suggest to you that we need to come to a place in our lives where, in fact, we individually and we personally make that decision and that vow, that choice, whatever you want to call it, in which we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. I want to suggest to you this morning that if you think about it for just a little bit, it ought to be pretty easy because really it's a matter of just uh, choosing a couple of things. It's choosing love over the hatred of our world. It's choosing what is described in the scriptures as agape love. The love that Jesus has for you and the love that Jesus has for me. The love that God has for us. And the very simple fact is the scriptures remind us that he sent his only begotten son. Uh, the very simple fact that love is an agape love. It's a love in spite of. It's a love not that we deserve it. It's not that we've earned it. It's not that he owes it to us. It's a love that looks at us and in spite of ourselves, in spite of the very simple fact that while we were yet sinners, the scriptures tell us that Christ died for us. I want to suggest to you that we need to choose that love, 
not just a brotherly love, you know, the Philadelphia love, uh, not just the love that says, oh, if we just band together and we love one another and we treat one another nice, we'll be okay. What we really need is agape love. We need the love that God has for you and for me. I want to suggest to you that there's very much a sense in which we also need to stop and we need to choose life. We need to choose spiritual life. We need to choose eternal life. Now, I know that life is very important. I happen to believe in the very supreme sanctity of human life. I have to confess to you that I was, I was really baffled uh, just a week ago when, when our, our Congress was debating the subject of helping people out with COVID-19. And one of the subjects that came up is, is they wanted to bring in more funding for abortion. What a sick concept. When we stop and think about we're fighting for life and we're going to fund death. Brothers and sisters, that's just physical life. Let me suggest to you this morning there's something even more important than the physical life that you and I have. And that's the spiritual life, the eternal life, where it is that we're going to spend eternity. Because, you know, one of these days, this thing that we call time and space is going to dissolve. One of these days, you and I are going to get to the end of our life. I like to tease people, and many of you have heard me say it many times before, but the statistics of death are very impressive. One in every one person dies. Brothers and sisters, we need to stop and we need to choose life. And I want to suggest to you the only place you're going to find life is in the one that is the life giver. Do you remember the scriptures as it reminds us at the very beginning? In, in the beginning, there is this creation process that God goes through. And as he creates the heavens and the earth and as he creates all the things that are in the earth, one of the things that he does is eventually he draws together this dust of the ground. It's one of the reasons why we're organic. But he draws together the, the dust of the ground and it says that he breathed into Adam, into his nostrils, and he became a living soul. You see, it is God that gives us life. And he gives us not only this physical life that we have and these bodies that we live in for this brief period of time, but that very life that he creates is an eternal life. It is a person, it is a being, it is a soul, it is a spirit. And brothers and sisters, we need to give consideration to what our life will be, not just here and now, what our life will be in eternity. We need to choose love and we need to choose life. I want to suggest to you that we need to choose liberty. We need to choose freedom. And when I talk about that, I'm not talking about all the things that people think of when they think of liberty and freedom. What I'm thinking about is the things that are described for us within the scriptures where we can be free from the weight of sin in the past. We can be free of the power of sin in the present. You know, we need to stop and recognize that he is the one that gives us freedom. He's the one that's able to cut those cords that the world ties us down with. He's the one that is able to deliver us from whatever it might be. And it doesn't matter if it's body, soul, and spirit. He's the one that's able to meet our needs. He can meet our needs spiritually. He can meet our needs physically. He can meet our needs emotionally. He can meet our needs 100%. He is the one that gives liberty. Jesus demonstrated these very clearly. He delivered these to you and to me. His love, his life, his liberty, freedom. Can I ask you this morning, have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you made the point in your life where you took the time to believe him, to trust him, let him tie the knots, 
Let him hold your life. Let him make the decisions. Have you taken the time to receive him? To actually ask him and say, Dear Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you cleanse me and change me? And would you take my life and, and give me new life and make me a new creature in you? Scripture reminds us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This morning as we celebrate and we remember that triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and we can find ourselves maybe wanting to almost be in the crowd and shouting Hosanna. But you know, the most important thing isn't being in the crowd and shouting Hosanna. The most important thing is when you're by yourself and it's just you. Have you believed him? Have you received him? Are you walking with him on the Jesus road? Are you walking with him in the path that he wants you to walk in? You see, we need to pause this morning and we need to give the response that's required of us. We need to have a clear vision of who he is. We need to certainly have a chosen vow of who he is. Can I suggest to you lastly that we need to have a confessing voice of who he is? Yes, a testimony. It's interesting that the hymn writer put it in simple words. He said, go tell it on the mountain. <laughs> Not just that Jesus Christ is born, but go and tell everybody who Jesus really is. You see, it's very easy to get caught up in a crowd. It's very easy to go from Hosanna in the highest to crucify him. What we really need to do is we need to stop and we need to focus on some specific things. Can I suggest that we need to focus on the word? If you're going to have a, a good voice for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're going to have a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be in the word we need to remember, first of all, that he is the word, remember? We need to stop and we need to recognize that they go together. You cannot be close to Jesus and not close to the word of God, the Bible. You can't be really close to the Bible and not really see Jesus. They're really one and the same if you stop and think about it for just a moment. It is Jesus that is the word. Brothers and sisters, we need to be in the word. They go together. And we need to let the word, not the world, be the thing that drives us and directs us. Let me suggest to you that we also need to understand that we need to have a walk, a walk with him. Disciples within the Bible are described as those individuals that were called by Jesus. Jesus went by individuals, different kinds of people. It didn't matter if they were a physician. It didn't matter if they were a tax collector. It didn't matter if they were a fisherman. He said simply one thing, come, follow me. We need to take a good look at the path that we're on. What path are you on today? Have you found yourself on a path that's trying to figure out everything in the world to try to amass some kind of, of wealth or notoriety? I hear people, and I've heard it a lot just recently, everybody looks at their investments and looks at their 401ks and their retirements. People are concerned about, obviously, their jobs and their vocations and, and their paychecks. But brothers and sisters, we need to make sure that we have more attention given and focused on our eternal treasure. Jesus said, make sure that your treasure's in heaven, not here on this earth. I want to suggest to you that maybe in the midst of our walk, there's some of us that need to take some time. And as the scripture tells us in Hebrews, that we need to lay aside every sin and the weight that so doth easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Brothers and sisters, is there something in your life that you need to put down? 
something that you need to put aside, something that you need to let go of, something that you need to just put away forever for good and walk with Jesus. It's pretty hard to tell the world about something that you're not familiar with. You need to be walking with Jesus if you're going to be able to tell people about Jesus. And then certainly we need to be a witness. We need to tell. We need to testify. We need to be able to sing Hosanna in the highest. We need to be able to say, here comes the Savior. We need to be able to tell people that Jesus truly is the Redeemer. He truly is the one that forgives. He truly is the one that cleanses. He truly is the one that can save us. Can I ask you a simple question this morning? Who have you told lately? Who have you shown lately that Jesus has changed your life? This is Palm Sunday. We need to be thankful as we celebrate and as we remember what it's really all about because it's about Jesus. And in the midst of this Palm Sunday, we're called. We're called to give a required response to the very presence of Christ. We're called to have a clear vision of who he is. We're called to certainly have a very clear chosen vow of who he is. And we need to have a confessing voice of who he is. Do you know Jesus today? He wants you to know him. He wants you to spend time with him. He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to change you. He wants to give you new life. He wants to give you hope, even in the midst of a world that feels so hopeless and helpless. Jesus really is the answer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercies to us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to spend time in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the very simple fact that we can trust Jesus day by day, moment by moment. Lord, whatever the need might be that any one of us has, Lord, Jesus is able to supply. Father, we pray that you'll help us maybe this day, maybe in the quietness of our own hearts, to take just a moment and to certainly give back that required response as Jesus comes riding in as Jesus is being met by the crowds and they're singing Hosanna, what is it that's exactly singing in our hearts? Father, we pray that you'll be pleased to just continue to guide us. Lord, in the midst of the week that's before us, we ask, Father, for your continued grace. We ask simply that as we face uncertain times, uncertain days, as we face statistics that sometimes bring fear, help us, Lord, to put our trust in Jesus Christ our Redeemer, for we pray it in his precious name.